0: everybody, welcome back to the Lockdown Red Wings podcast. Today is Tuesday, March 10th, 2020, and we got the second half of a two-part episode with Soldier, Sergio Colchester, recapping the pair of wins over the weekend by the Detroit Red Wings. As always, I am your co-host, Detroit sports writer and longtime Red Wings fan, Noel Bianchi, here with my co-host and longtime friend, Ethan Smith. How's Ethan, it going? Welcome to the show. How are you,
1: Sergio? I'm doing great. Love the Red Wings. <laughs> Love the, love the pod.
0: Incredible. So you were at the game uh, on Friday night. And one thing that we talk a, a lot about on this show is the fact that, you know, you, you miss out on a lot of things uh, regarding the Red Wings when they're not winning. Uh, like the like the locker room videos after the game. Like the excitement when they go up in the third period. Like the journey, don't stop believing. What were some of the best sights and sound that you had uh, experienced at that game against the Blackhawks on Friday night?
1: Well, the, the first thing I would bring up is the, the rivalry with the Blackhawks, which has been lost in the overwa- overall overwhelmingly positive uh, transition to the Eastern Conference. We now have one game a year against the Chiefs. The, well, not the Chief. The, I, I still think the Maple Leafs are number one. The second biggest regional uh, rival. And that Ooh, I don't know about really, that. We can talk
0: about that at a later date, but I don't know if I agree with that. That really amps things
1: up. Uh, the, 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 Blackhawks fans were there in big, big numbers. Um, anytime you're at a sporting event and the crowd is, you know, closer to 60, 40 than it is to 90, 10, the, the atmosphere is outstanding. And and once again, like the, you know, we talked about it after the Bruins game. It wasn't, it, it, that's not to say that the Red Wings fans didn't show up. The Red Wings fans were there in full gear. It, this might as well have been Red Wings Blackhawks 10 years ago. Um, even though both of these teams are in last place. Uh, and so the, the vibe in the arena was, there was a definite big game vibe. And uh, once again, that's what's been missing from Little Caesars Arena since it opened, and I think we're starting to see things take off a little bit.
0: Yeah, and I think with Little Caesars Arena too. Uh, my one complaint that I've had, like from being there, is that it, it feels like uh, hockey place is taking or hockey game is taking place in the middle of a shopping mall. A lot of times when you walk in, it doesn't necessarily feel like you know right when you when you used to walk through the doors at Joe Louis Arena. You know, before you even got into the into the arena before you even walk up the stairs, you can feel it. You feel the energy building. You feel the buzz, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, a lot of that probably had to do with the fact that uh, the Red Wings were a good team most of the time when they were playing there, and I was growing up and seeing them. But that is something that I think LCA seriously lacks is just the feeling of walking through the doors and being like, wow, I'm here to see a hockey game. I think think something that combats that
2: is that we were – Like you said, we were children watching an iconic sports team for a decade, you know? Yeah. And like us, our parents driving us to the games and it's like, oh my God, we're going to Joe Lewis, watch Red Wings. And now Mm -hmm. it's just like, hey, you want to go get tickets off StubHub and just go down there you go pregame and stuff like it's it's a different it's a complete different vibe we've lost the childhood aspect of the red wings
0: for sure but like jolo well, serena I- had a distinct <clears throat> smack you in the face aura to yeah. it that occurred when you walked yeah. through the front door the the colors the the smell, like, I, I don't know what it was about it. It's just, it. it's too, maybe LCA is just too clean, <clears throat> too sanitary. I don't know. Yeah. But uh I, I think that that is a serious problem when it comes to the character of that building and, you know, getting the full experience of going to a Red Wings game. Now, granted, like we've mentioned over and over again, the Red Wings are not very good, but uh, I still think that there's a, a point to be made about
1: that. I think when we're, when we're discussing LCA versus the Joe, it, it needs to be pointed out. we didn't go from, you know, just in any average marginal, whatever hockey arena to LCA. We actually went from what will be looked on as, you know, one of the, one of the most unique uh, sporting venues in the country uh in the in, in joe lewis arena not just in terms of the amount of history that was made there but in terms of its location being right on the detroit river mm-hmm. the abs the the absolute just ridiculous you know uniqueness of the building itself the concrete the uh the concourses the lack of bathrooms the the distinct smell the time, and yeah, time shoulder anybody- to shoulder <clears throat> anytime, anytime anybody talks about a beloved arena or, or a stadium or a ballpark, you know, the smell comes in. We're talking about a place that is, you know, on a very short list of iconic hockey venues. And we were just very, uh, we, were, we were spoiled to be able to experience that for, for you know, our, most of our lives up until now. So what it's going to take for Little Caesars to uh, Little Caesars is never going to have that type of uniqueness. That was that second point that I was, that I was getting at, Mm -hmm. but certainly if the Red Wings can uh, create some moments in Little Caesars that give it the, uh, you know, the hollowed history that the Joe had, there's no reason why traditions and rituals and memories won't be present with Little Caesars because, Little Caesars Arena might feel like a shopping mall, but every every modern arena feels like a, a shopping mall. Yep. It's the Red Wings' job mm. to turn it into a hockey arena.
0: No, and you're not wrong. And then I guess to go further to your point, which I agreed with uh, about you know the fact that it was on the Detroit River and stuff like that. I mean, right now where it's located on Woodward, I think it, it kind of – I think there's a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths just because of, you know, maybe district Detroit, that kind of the all the promises that never came to fruition. And maybe we can talk about that on another episode or something. I don't know. But uh, I, I mean, speaking strictly in terms of like it being a center for like a place that people gravitate to. I think that you know once this team becomes good or once them and the Pistons become good, I think that the location – I mean, I'm you know, kind of disputing my own point here, but I think that lo- the location of it will make it uh, – I, I don't know. I, I think there's something to that location that hasn't been unlocked yet, I guess is what I'm trying to say.
1: Exactly, because think about the location in terms of this. When we were – when you guys were talking about – you know, the the feel of LTA as as compared to Joe Lewis and the way that Joe Lewis just felt so distinctly like a like a like a hockey venue. Um, I think about another venue in the city that's just right across the street that I think in year three of its existence, people probably really missed its uh predecessor. And you know, now twenty years later, it's become a, a signature Detroit experience. And I think, you know what I'm talking about?
0: Yeah. Comerica park. And that's, that's a great point as well. The Red Wing or the Tigers went mm-hmm. through some horrible times when they first moved in, it probably had that same, you know, it, when it's empty, when a new building is empty a lot, that's definitely going to take away some of the shine. And you're right. They did create some great memories for, you know, from 2006 to really 2014, 15. Uh, and it did turn that place into something that has a lot of history. You can point back to moments Uh, You know, I I remember where I was sitting when J.D. Martinez hit that homer off Chris Sale, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, But I do want to talk a little bit about the games. Now, before we jump into some other players that stood out, we talked a little bit about on yesterday's show uh, about the top line, Fabry, Lindstrom. Uh, But I just want to start a new segment. That's the Jonathan Bernier Save of the Week. Uh, now, I think, you know, I think we're just going to pull from the, the two wins, considering that that, you know, is the most important saves of the week. Uh, but over the weekend, he had 65 uh, saves on 70 shots, save percentage of 929. Uh, he was great in the shootout. He got beat by the first shooter, Mikhail Sergachev, uh, but saved the last two on Braden Point and uh, Kucherov. Um, but for me, it really comes down to two saves. One against Chicago to start the game. He's uh, the Blackhawks come down on a two-on-one. DeBrinket gets a crossing pass, and Jonathan Bernier makes a sprawling save to get a toe on it. That really set the tone for the game. Uh, and then just because it was, you know an extremely similar save uh, the next night about halfway through the third period. Kucherov sets up on his strong hand, wait for the pass, waits for the pass across and uh, Bernier is able to get all the way and catch it with his toe again to keep the Red Wings up by one.
2: Both are great. You guys are such an MVP. I even thought that goal, the save against Kucherov in the shootout, how just obviously just being a goalie, Mm. I, I noticed these little things. But just the ability to wait out a guy like Kutrov that scored that goal where he just skated in on Holpe and just put it between his legs and yeah. pretend like he was going to do something. He's done it like three times. Mm-hmm. To have the, the, you know, for like, you know, the cojones. <laughs> Had to come up with that one. To just stay calm and let him make the first move and then just a beautiful glove save. Thank you very much. Then Fabry goes down and wins it.
0: Yeah, and I mean that's something that gets overlooked, I think, in the shootout a lot of times when a goalie doesn't move a lot, and you know they kind of just let the guy come in, and it just goes right into their glove. It looks like it just goes right into their glove, but I, you know one thing that people might not realize is how badly they want to get moving and bite on a, a bite on a fake or do whatever. So to stay, you know, to not move at all on a on a shooter like Kucherov, I think that really speaks volumes to the kind of. Save. Yes.
2: It's really hard to stop an NHL player on, in a on a breakaway. Mm-hmm. Let alone one that you have to be
0: patient with, right? Like Kucherov or a Kane or something right. like that.
2: Jonathan Bernier's the MVP. Uh,
0: what did you think about Hold Jonathan up. Bernier? Listen,
1: right, go I mean, what What more can we say about Bernier at this point? I, I I he's he's playing exceptional hockey. I I think you know at the level that he's playing that you can win a Stanley cup with a goalie like this. And I I think about, you know, we went through a trade deadline. And I think if he was playing at this level, there would have been a real good opportunity to move him for some pieces. And I'm almost at a point where I'm happy that he wasn't. And I'm happy that he wasn't moved because, you know, the guy goes post to post so well. And in the modern NHL, I think that that's, that's a real, that's really critical. I just, I, I, man, I just think he's a real good goalie. I don't know what more to say.
0: Yeah. Ethan's, uh, wrapped on that uh, constantly his ability to get side to side and against a team like the, or playing on a team like the Red Wings where they leave so many back doors open yeah. I mean, that's really yeah. kind of the best yeah. skill that a goaltender can have playing in Detroit right now. So he's been an absolute rock. He elevated his save percentage to nine oh eight on the season, uh, which is not that impressive, but given the way he started and the it's team he's been playing on, incredibly it is sight uh, it is a sight incredibly to impressive
2: playing behind the defense on, on this, this team. On this team that's won seven sixteen, seventeen games.
0: No, I mean like the number itself I don't think really jumps out at you, but like he's he did not start the season very well at all. He's had to raise that that uh, save percentage throughout the course of the year. And he has ever since, you know, December. Uh, I mean, it, there's not much that can be said about it. It's like a broken record at this point, but he obviously was somebody who uh, really, really, I mean, he was the key to the Red Wings win, winning both these games over the weekend. Yep. And the majority,
2: every single one, but two this year, right? Yeah, pretty much.
0: <laughs> pretty much.
1: At, uh, at we, this stage, go ahead.
0: No, I was just gonna say. I mean, who else stuck out to you guys uh, over the weekend? Were there any forwards or defensemen outside of that top line and, and Fabry, Bernier, and maybe Lindstrom?
1: You know, I, the story of the weekend for me is Fabry in the top line, and it's gotta huh? be. I mean, they scored. Pretty, they pretty much scored all of the goals. Uh, it's not. I. I don't think the defense necessarily played too well. They gave up four goals against the Lightning. Um, up two against the Blackhawks, right
0: yeah yep
1: yeah you know the, the 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 team is right now as it stands there's there's four forwards a couple intriguing future defensemen i'm not well, i think i think you go know, off of, with zadina uh, i'd like to see a little i'd like to see a little bit more zadina um but there's certainly four forwards one very pro- promising forward prospect in the way that the, those two defensemen that I, I'm talking about are pro- promising prospects but it's, it's it's four four forwards a couple of interesting defensemen and a goalie and and you know the the talent on the rest of the roster is eh, it's, it's tough
0: Yeah, and, uh, I mean, if we want to switch it back to that decor a little bit, like you just mentioned about, we should probably mention uh, Alex Biega got an extension. uh, Cap Friendly reported it on Sunday, but the Red Wings officially announcing that on Monday. Uh, One-year deal, $875,000 to play in Detroit next season. Uh, He was acquired in October from the Canucks in a trade for forward David Pope. Uh, Biega has just a three assists this year, but has been a really solid stay at home D man for the Red Rings. He's got over 16 minutes a night and is a minus nine, which leads all defensemen that have played uh, more than 20 games. Kind of an impressive mark given the circumstances. And, uh, you know, David Pope, meanwhile, you talk about risk free assets, uh, kind of in the same breath that we've talked about Fabry. Uh, David Pope has really struggled to make it out of the East Coast League this year. So I think, in terms of just. It, In terms of an asset, I I think this is a trade that Steve Eiserman again kind of ended up really taking the win on. Just kind of believe in Steve. Like, how phenomenal is that? Mm -hmm. Even if it's not a guy,
2: like you said, that's going to go out there and get points and stuff. Like, this guy is so consistent in his own end. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's really hard. And I'm happy that we re signed him.
0: I, I think, you know, when you look at what him and both him and Patrick Nemeth really have done kind of just jumping into this team and being tasked with, you know, being the two biggest ice hogs uh, out of that entire decor at times this year. Uh, Patrick Nemeth is only a minus 10. And, you know, I think to play as many minutes as these guys are and to look at what the Red Wings goal differential is on the season, I think that's just, you know, leaps and bounds. Crazy impressive considering, you know, they're definitely probably not getting a lot of power play time and stuff like that. Well, I, actually I wonder probably. how often
2: they play with Darren Helm.
0: Because, yeah. I mean,
2: Darren Helm's got to be a big piece of that, too. I mean, that guy's what? Probably like a minus three on yeah.
0: the year? Yeah, maybe minus six by now. That's crazy man. I don't know what to tell you. Darren Helm. What do you think about Alex Biega? Uh
1: you talking to me? Yeah. Oh. I mean, listen, somebody's got to put the jersey on. <laughs> so, you know, a hey, uh, – uh, Stay at home defensive, is not something that jumps off the uh, the TV screen to me, um, but certainly I, I believe in what Steve Eisenman is doing. He I I really think that the moves that he has made have been uh, really shrewd and intelligent, mm-hmm. and I trust him. And, and if he sees something in if he sees something in Viega that you know we're not there in the locker room uh you know day to day. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I believe that if if is gonna make that type of move to, while in the middle of the season, extend a guy like that, he values him and and I trust I trust what Steve Eiserman values.
0: I'd also love to know and kind of touching on that same point is you know what role he's had in helping with the development of a guy like Hronik or uh Lindstrom because like I mentioned he he's a minutes eater. He's Not going to jump off the page on any given night, but he has been for the most part pretty solid back there. And uh, you just kind of hope that, I I mean, you need guys like this to stay in the lineup. I mean, you, you can look at defensemen in terms of just like veterans and stuff like that. You look at, oh, Trevor Daly. Yeah, he's been through it all. He's won the X amount of cups. But I think when you got a player who's still, you know, producing okay, Uh, I think that's going to make your younger guys a little more receptive to taking that, uh, to taking that guidance and whatnot. So I'm all for bringing back anybody who's uh, played well under the circumstances and, uh, you know, these, this is a guy who's not going to take up any time from, you know, Mo Sider or Gustav Lindstrom or Philip Peronic, whenever those guys are ready to kind of, I mean, Peronic is the top minutes eater on that entire decor, but when those guys are ready to kind of move into playing more than 20 minutes, 25 minutes a game.
1: Uh, Lindstrom was a very recent draft pick, wasn't he? Yeah,
0: 2017 second round.
1: Getting him up here this quickly is pretty
0: cool. No, I agree. I agree. And, to, like, the fact that he just – I mean, this was – I think it was – I might be misremembering this. I think this is his first season in pro hockey. It was either this year or last year. But, I mean, coming over from the the Swedish league like he did and adjusting to the North American style of play as quickly as he did, really at every level, I think has been the most impressive thing that he's, he's done so far. The fact that he does look so poised. Uh, and under these circumstances where he keeps moving leagues, keeps moving up and he just is tackling every task that gets thrown in front of him. I know it's really is just shocking how calm he is out there. That's just what really, what uh,
2: the takeaways I had from those two yeah. games over the weekend is just how great he looks.
0: Right. And I mean, you can't, he hate to keep harping on it, but that's the only thing that stands out. He's not putting up points. He's not, uh, he's not, you know, creating too much offensively in the neutral zone or whatever. Uh, but when he gets that puck on his stick where he, when he, goes to play a guy in the corner, I think that there's a lot of confidence that comes with him being the one to make the play.
1: Yeah. Competent defensive play is uh, it really sticks out on this game.
0: <laughs> well, I think it's uh, time to wrap this one up. Sergio, you got anything else uh, observations from the weekend you'd like to get in here before we uh, say goodbye to you until next time?
1: No, I, uh, I think we covered it all. Um, I'm very, I'm just, You know, it it feels good watching the Red Wings win these games. And I'm excited about the future.
0: Excellent. Uh, Well, that will do it for Tuesday's episode. Be sure to check back with us tomorrow uh, for our Wednesday episode of the Lockdown Red Wings podcast. Follow us on Twitter if you haven't done that already, at LO underscore Red Wings. Follow me on Twitter at Nolan Bianchi. And then my co-host, Ethan Smith, at Mm -hmm. Ethan Smith. Uh, Sergio, uh, this is the last time I'm going to ask you. It's either now or never. You want you want your Twitter out there for the people? No. All right. I like <laughs> <Make> it. it. <laughs> A little bit of mystery. I mean, you lied to them. Is, this is not you know very good uh, in terms of building relationships. They can't trust you now. So that's not ideal. But uh, uh,
1: no, I'll give them the, I'll give him the Twitter. I'll give them the Twitter. What is it? I... My, the Twitter handle, it's just a, a very random uh, assortment of letters that I just sort of hit the keyboard wildly and ended up with it. It's at Manugian, M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, O-O-G-I-A, N as in Nancy.
0: All right. That sounds like a perfectly random assortment of sounds letters. Good. I wonder what would happen if you unscrambled that. Is it one of those things you unscramble it and find out your, you find
1: out where I, your,
0: your, street address or something? I
1: mean, if you if you wanted to, I think you'd find I'm a goon in there.
0: <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, we'll, we'll be sure to uh, have you back on again. We thank you so much for joining us. You always bring that electricity, and uh, we look forward to talking to you in the future.
1: Thank you, boys. I really enjoyed this. It. Honored to be on the podcast.
0: You guys take care, and we'll see you tomorrow.